Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Seltzer Kings. What do you mean, Gavin? Fast Eddie's working a deal. I, I don't. I don't like the sound of that. The following podcast contains other trucker that hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you formed up your militia around the Walmart because you were afraid of Reuben Kincaid in a black bandana, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, June 19th, 2020, Partridge Family Bus Full of Antifa edition of the show, where we talk about fear in the flyover. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Rent a Radical. Are you a small white town in the middle of nowhere looking to gin up some panic and anxiety but lack an actual radical element? Why not Rent a Radical? We will send a couple about dozen black clad boogeymen to drive slowly around your town playing punk music and disappear before the shooting starts. Rent a Radical guarantees your town will shit their britches fearing busloads of Antifa soldiers giving you the chance to prove how brave you are by forming a chubble militia to guard the local stop and shop. You might even get laid. You will look so brave. Don't risk real leftist mobs infiltrating your town. Call Rent-A-Radical and have all the fear and none of the looting. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to comment on a rumor that's spreading like wildfire across small-town America right now, and that's that Antifa is deploying busloads of liberal provocateurs from all the big cities on the coast to infiltrate rural America and wreak havoc. And I just felt as somebody who's kind of done the exact opposite of that, I was in a position to comment on it. First of all, rural America, Antifa's not real. Not really. It's just the latest in the long line of fictional boogeyman. Youngs create whole cloth out of thin air to help yourselves maintain the vital balance of fear and anger upon which you thrive. They're just like the transgender toilet monsters or the big government rifle snatchers of years past. They're not really a thing. But let's just say that when you say Antifa, you mean like big city, coastal liberals are coming to your town to fuck with y'all. Let me tell you something, rural America. Coastal liberals wouldn't come to where you live if the ghost of Karl Marx offered to pay them in aborted fetuses, okay? They're not coming there for nothing, ever. I spent roughly the first 30 years of my life in podunk shithole towns in the middle of fucking nowhere. The heart of America where the real Americans live. The place of my birth in Etowah, Tennessee is so small, it doesn't even have its own Walmart. You gotta drive your ass to Athens. And when we moved to Oklahoma City from Etowah, my young self was sure we'd moved into a massive city complex with millions of people, what with just, I don't know, 600,000 people at the time. And from there, we moved to Guam. Total population, 100,000. And then finally, Mountain Home, Idaho, with its massive swell of people clocking in at around 10 grand or so. I've been at parties with more people than lived in Mountain Home, Idaho. As an adult, I generally bounced around the kind of small towns like that because that's where the military bases were. What I'm saying is, when it comes to specs on a Rand McNally, Jesus, Grandpa, I know what I'm talking about. 
The thing about small-town America is the folks who live there are friendly, kind, and generous. The kind of people Walt Disney creamed his hands over. If they know you. On the other hand, as they are wont to say, You ain't from round here, are you? Then you will find them suspicious, narrow-minded, and xenophobic. And if you're darker-complected than Edgar Winter, What year do you think it is? Entirely unwelcoming of you in their little utopia. I don't say this to be insulting. Okay, I do, but nevertheless, it remains true. The last time I was down and around the land of my birth, I stopped in a little watering hole for a beer and made the mistake of not speaking in the local vernacular of my home state and also of using fancified words like vernacular. The bartender immediately went from smiling to surly, slammed the bottle on the bar in front of me and began questioning me as to my purpose in the area, like there's something in fucking Etowah worth stealing. When I told him I was in town visiting relatives, I had to give him names like I was registering my bona fides for a grosser Arianakweis down at the Office of Racial Purity. I didn't stay for a second beer. And coming from me, folks, y'all know that really means something. So again, I speak with experience when I say, there's nothing in small town America that makes me want to go there. So I suspect I'm not the only one that thinks this. Which is why the idea that busloads of black-clad Antifa are motoring to East Frogfuck, Arkansas to impose their anarcho-socialist agenda on the denizens of East Crotch Rock County, so fucking ludicrous. First of all, your each average East Coast liberal likely moved away from East Frogfuck or a town just like it when they were old enough and never want to come back. We don't even want to go there for Thanksgiving. You think we're just going to show up in June when the humidity hits? No. Hard pass. Hard pass. Also, a fair number of us have fucking jobs, and while we might be working from home, none of us are going to burn our vacation days to come down there and loot the fucking Clem's bait and tackle shop. No one's paying for childcare so they can travel 12 hours on a bus to burn down the local moose lodge. Settle down, Vernon. Settle down. This, of course, has not stopped white people in the sticks from spewing all sorts of conspiracy theories about Antifa heading straight for downtown Dingusville, Wisconsin, with mayhem on their minds. We are gonna purge today, burn this bitch down. This idiocy is burning through the flyover like COVID-19 through an Arizona old folks home, and it's gotten the local InfoWars tactical panties very much in a twist. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Police say a guy in Loveland held two people at gunpoint that he thought were members of Antifa. Turns out there were roofing company employees working in his neighborhood. And one of the victims is also a CSU football player. This happened last night around six o'clock on Don Court in Loveland. Police say 65-year-old Scott Goodmanson called police and said two Antifa guys were in the neighborhood and that he planned to go confront them. So in Loveland last night, when police arrived, they found Goodmanson dressed in fatigues and tactical gear, holding these two men on the ground at gunpoint. Police said Goodmanson was armed with two Glock pistols, and one of them had been converted into a longer weapon that looked like a carbine rifle. These two victims are 20 and 27 years old. Police say they were both wearing blue polo shirts with the roofing company's name on them, shorts, tennis shoes, and white surgical-style masks. Police said they were in the neighborhood canvassing after recent hailstorms and that these two people did nothing wrong. Goodmanson was arrested on suspicion of two counts of felony menacing and two counts of false imprisonment. He is due in court next week. Now, Antifa probably doesn't have a dress code being what they are, but I'm sure if they do, it's not a polo shirt and a pair of fucking shorts. 
Fox News' animatronic real baby Hitler fucker Carlson has been spewing fecal froth rages all over the airways nightly, dropping little shit nuggets of agitprop like, quote, violent young men with guns will be in charge. They will make the rules, including rules in your neighborhood. They will do what they want. You will do what they say. No one will stop them. You will not want to live there when that happens, unquote. And it's not just faux news sharding this idiocy in the brain stems of the camel sexual coffee clutch. Social media is rampant with rumors, lies, and disinformation telling the fine folks of Upper Uvula, Montana, that hordes of Antifa super soldiers are heading from massive metropolises like Grand Forks or Billing to inseminate all the women with their powerful socialist sperm and caught off the stuffed buffalo from the local watering hole. Power to the people! From the Sacramento Bee, quote, they may be rumors in tense times, but Elk Grove residents on social media platforms, including Nextdoor, appeared to be girding for the unrest to reach the suburban city. One message was to report suspicious items and activity, warn motorists to keep an eye out for stacked rocks and bricks where there shouldn't be any, water bottles filled with non-water substance, and possible Antifa members who dress like wannabe ninjas, all black and face masks, and usually carrying a backpack, unquote. You know... I used to live near Sacramento and have been to the town of Elk Grove many times. And I can fully assure the good people of Elk Grove that even where I am a radical Antifa super soldier, there is literally nothing in Elk Grove that would make me stop or even slow down passing through your town. Even if I desperately needed to take a piss, I would still drive on to East Sacramento before I stopped. There's a little hyper-localized content for you, Sacramento pod friends. A fella by the name of Seth Larson and Squim Washington, which only sounds dirty, I assume it's not, called out the local militia on Facebook based on rumors of busloads of Antifa coming from Seattle. Quote, Larson seems to have been become convinced that a march in Squim in support of Black Lives Matter movement was a possible pretext for those outside Antifa agitators to shoot people, loot businesses, and as he told the march's old organizers, kill our white babies. I wonder what that means. Oh, well, let me tell you. From the Peninsula Daily News, quote, Later that day in Forks, a multiracial family of four from Spokane was followed by at least four vehicles. Some with people with guns, they told deputies, as they left Fork Outfitters in a full-sized school bus. The family was trapped when they tried to leave their campsite after trees were felled to block the road. They were able to leave after four high school students cut the trees with chainsaws, said Sergeant Ed Anderson in a press release issued Thursday. The Calum County Sheriff's Office is investigating the incident and is seeking information regarding those involved. He said Friday that he did not know if there was a link between the Fred's gun post, which was from Seth Larson, and the incident in Forks, but they will be finding it out, unquote. The panic is everywhere now. From The Verge, quote, the rumors have been particularly lively on Facebook. One post written by a previously unknown outlet called the DC Dirty Laundry claims to have discovered specific plans to bust large numbers of Antifa terrorists into a small town called Sparta, Illinois, where they will be directed to target rural white Americans by burning farmhouses and killing livestock. The article names specific routes that the buses will be taken sourced to highly reliable individuals and claims Illinois was targeted because restrictions on gun ownership have transformed the state into a shooting gallery for Antifa terrorists. It's Antifa on the radical left, says Trump. The Post has credited the report of an earlier report from Natural News, a notorious anti-vaccination outlet that has been banned from posting on Facebook, but syndicating the article to a new URL seems to have completely evaded those restrictions. 
allowing the post to travel widely on Facebook. Links to the DC Dirty Laundry post have been shared more than a thousand times since Thursday, including by fan groups with President Trump, Candace Owens, and Rush Limbaugh, unquote. Why would they do something like this? Because they're a bunch of assholes. Of course, Antifa has been the boogeyman du jour of the right for some time now because they represent everything that makes a good propaganda monster because no one knows anything about them, including many people who call themselves Antifa. They can be anything. A fucking ninja, dude. Exactly like a ninja. I mean, they even look like ninjas. All in black and wearing a mask and shit. It's no wonder conservatives are scared of them. I would be too. Except, you know, I'm not a Nazi. And that's the thing. No one in the world should be scared of Antifa unless they are a fucking Nazi. It's right there in the fucking name, anti-fascist. Oh, sure, there's been some Venn overlap of anarchist and black bloc, but as a rule, Antifa are here to punch fucking Nazis. And if you're not a Nazi or a Nazi adjacent, we ain't got no worries. Which is why it is so odd that so many people fear Antifa like it's a communicable disease for which there is no cure, and it's currently running unchecked through the population while the head of the government twiddles his tiny dinky dick and worries about imaginary boogeymen. A little on the nose, don't you think? I mean, if they're good and decent people lacking in any Nazi or Nazi-adjacent behaviors, it would just stand to reason they would have nothing to fear from anti-fascists. Hey, you don't think... No, no, that's crazy talk. It's not like they could be fascist fuckwads themselves. Surely someone would have noticed something. So, who are these black-clad anti-Nazi warriors? Where do they come from? What do they want? Do they get discounts at Arby's when they pull up with their fast bastard buses? I was going to go to Arby's and watch Frontline. Let's begin with the OG Antifa, way back in the Weimar Republic of Germany, where the OG fascists were becoming a smidge of a problem. You have an unsurpassed talent for understatement. The Antifascisti action were a group of German communists who, uh, rather unfortunately, considered themselves the mortal enemy of the center-left Social Democrat Party of Germany as they viewed fascism as the last stage of capitalism. This uh, meant that they were primarily fighting the very people they ought to have been uniting with to keep Hitler out of power, but you know. Yeah, well, 2020 hindsight and all that, you know what they say. I mean, they certainly started fighting Nazis, but by that time, it was a day late and a Reichmark short. And I'm not going to bullshit you and tell you that Antifa has always been peaceful or non-radical. Here in the States, during the punk area, Antifa formed kind of a backlash movement against the skinhead ideology that popped up in the early 90s, primarily in the form of beating the shit out of punk skinheads wherever they could. But in Europe, Antifa had hewed more to its traditional kick the shit out of actual Nazis role. From Vox, quote, You started to see these groups spring up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. You saw similar movements in Germany in the 80s around the time the Berlin Wall falls. And when a wave of neo-Nazism rolled through the country targeting immigrants, there, as elsewhere, leftist groups emerged as tools of self-defense. The whole point was to stare down these fascist groups in the street and stop them by force if necessary. These groups in the 80s adopted the name Antifa, and eventually it spread to the United States when the late 80s and into the 90s. Originally, it was known as the Anti-Racist Action Network. They kind of faded into the mid-2000s. The recent wave we've been seeing in the U.S. developed out of it, but has taken on more of the name and the kind of aesthetics from the European movement, unquote. As it stands now, Antifa is kind of an umbrella term for a lot of different people with wide-spanning views. You've got Marxists and communists and social democrats. 
You even have some out-and-out anarchists under the umbrella, all operating with this single unifying idea. Fuck you, Nazis! Which is a unifying idea is actually a really good one. Now, a lot of people have a similar idea about Nazis, but where Antifa difference is how they deal with said Nazis. Where a nonviolent protester might feel the right path to resist the shit-eating Hitler humpers is through peaceful resistance, the Antifa would rather... the shit at him for being so stupid? Yeah. So, uh, you will see Antifa aggressively standing up to the alt-right and various other dickless shit-stains by, say, punching a fucking Nazi in the fucking face. Thing is, there is an actually, uh, Antifa. I mean, there are no officers, no managers for Karen to want to speak to, no oath to become a super soldier, no board of directors, no marketing manager running the Antifa brand Twitter account. There is no they to them. It's just a diffuse group of people who all believe that Nazis are a threat to freedom, and the best way to deal with a threat to freedom is to fight the people threatening said freedom. I mean, you can't ban Antifa because there's nothing there to ban. I mean, I've got Antifa sympathies, and I would deeply enjoy punching a fucking Nazi in the face and giving a chance, I would do it. But I'm not dressing in black and standing on the line between protesters and the alt-right. Fuck no. I'm a middle-aged dude with a bad back. That shit's for you young people. So I'm not Antifa, although I wear a lot of black, but that's only because black is very slimming and it makes me look infinitesimally skinnier. <laughs> While no one knows how many people identify as Antifa, because again, there's no one keeping a census here, folks, there is at best a few thousand, probably less than the number of the right-wing gun humpers who call themselves whatever limp dick name they chose for their militia. Dude, just because you dress up in camo and secondhand body armor doesn't make you a member of a militia. It only means you're cosplaying as someone in a militia. And frankly, no one wants to see a fat, middle-aged white guy cosplayer. We are here for titties. They aren't renting buses to drive to Point Pussy Fart, Alabama to torch the local dipsy doodle. Where the fuck is the average Antifa grunt gonna rent a fucking bus from? I'm 50, and aside from the, those party buses with a DJ, I wouldn't know where to rent a fucking bus. Even if I were Antifa and rented a party bus to come and loot Cactus Fucker Arizona, we would all just get on the bus and get drunk and happy, listen to Black Flag albums and smoking Chiba. By the time we got there, we'd just check into the local Motel 6 and sleep it off. I'm Tom Bodet from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. So why is the orange Alzheimer and the people of Camp Chlamydia, Iowa, so fucking terrified of a group of people who, who frankly wouldn't come to Camp Chlamydia if you paid them? Because patients are stupid and they are really scared. Just the way the GOP wants them. But more than that, they're trapped inside of a bubble. And that bubble is the scared and stupid ecosystem with information sources all paired in the same vapid drool dribbled from the mouth of the fearmonger in chief. And that leads to more panic and more confusion, which leads to people getting hurt. Let me, uh, let me wrap this episode up with uh, a little story that you think you know about, but you probably don't know the real story. Jesus, did I just become Paul Harvey all of a sudden? Halloween night. 1938, and Orson Welles was doing a broadcast of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. The commonly held belief is that during that broadcast, there was a massive panic all over the nation as frightened people missed the repeated announcements about the show being fiction. 
According to popular tales, people spilled into the streets in a state of panic, fearing actual Martians were invading. Phone lines were jammed, and it took hours to restore order to a panicked nation. Everybody panic! The thing is, none of that actually happened. There's zero evidence of any mass panic and any of the primary sources from the time. Police blotters, local reporters, residents' diaries of the night, nothing, nada, zip, zilch. There were sporadic and small local panics the night of the broadcast in remote areas with only the local CBS affiliate broadcast and the NYC stations, but again, they were quickly debunked by people on the ground. The story of mass panic came the next day as newspapers picked up small local stories and, shall we say, embellished the events of the previous evening. From Slate.com, quote, How did the story of panic listeners begin? Blame America's newspapers. Radio had siphoned off advertising revenue from print during the Depression, badly damaging the newspaper industry. So the papers seized the opportunity presented by Wells' program to discredit radio as a source of news. The newspaper industry sensationalized the panic to prove to advertisers and regulators that radio management was irresponsible and not to be trusted, unquote. Also, almost no one heard the original broadcast. Again from Slate, quote, C.E. Hooper Rating Service telephoned 5,000 people for its national rating survey. To what program were you listening, the service asked respondents, and only 2% answered a radio play or the Orson Welles program or something similar, indicated, indicated CBS. None said a news broadcast, according to a summary published in Broadcasting. In other words, 98% of those who surveyed were listening to something else or nothing at all on October 30th. 1938 unquote in a place where people had access to multiple sources of information there was no panic because all one needed to do was change the station and hear nothing unusual going on we do it all the time we turn on cnn which is reporting some breaking news chiron and we flip to msnbc or check the web or turn on local radio or local tv before settling back to see what the fuck is going on but what about people with only limited access to information and the media did you know there was not one but two actual panics over the war of the world broadcast and they were so bad that people died i did not know that from a 2014 article in the miami herald quote in 1944 in chile an adaptation of the radio drama was blamed for panicking thousands and given an electrician in valaprocio juan villarreal a fatal heart attack according to newsweek article from the time but in the tiny Andean nation of Ecuador, the stunt was pulled off so convincingly that even the authorities seemed to have fallen for the story with tragic results. What is known is that on the night of February 12, 1949, the city was seized by panic as the show kept upping the stakes. Radio Quito patched in other broadcasters who were also reporting the arrival of alien craft and an actor playing the Archbishop of, Archbishop of Quito only fueled the hysteria. But there were also real acts that added to the effect. With President Galo Plaza Lasso out of town, someone apparently ordered the police and firefighters to head to Cotolocolo. The Red Cross followed suit, according to Ribadindiera, who wrote a brief history of the event. I'm sorry about butchering those names. It didn't take long for the radio station to realize that it overplayed its hand, but when it shut down the show and tried to reassure the audience that it was just a dramatization, it only enraged the crowd. Soon, a mob surrounded the radio station in downtown Quito, which also housed the El Comercio newspaper and set it ablaze, unquote. Six people died in the fire, and reports of as many as 15 people dead in total from the panic. Why did the people of Chile and Ecuador panic, and the people of New Jersey didn't? The radio stations in Latin America were the only radio stations broadcasting. 
There was no place to turn to for confirmation of an alien attack. So people believed there was an alien attack and acted, if not rationally, they acted as one might expect when a trusted source of information tells you that aliens are fucking attacking. And this is why doofy-ass rednecks are surrounding their local Piggly Wiggly with their armor-clad and AR-15 strapped bodies in the middle of the fucking night. They have siloed themselves into very few and very unreliable sources of information because they've been told for the last two decades they should not trust the lamestream media. They loiter in local Facebook groups, rife with the kind of people Antifa would kick the shit out of, and those people are spreading false information to stir the shit, hoping to cause violence, and the gullible residents of Cooterville, Indiana, are so conditioned to swallow whatever bitter jizz load fed to them by their orange messiah, fucker Carlson, and randos on the internet, that news sources, which are nowhere near perfect, but can at least be trusted not to outright fucking lie to serve the political purposes of a Nazi or Nazi adjacent shit stains to tell them the truth all because it keeps the base terrified and voting for the ticket that has done more to destroy the lives and livelihoods than any partridge family bus full of antifa ever fucking could that is it for our show this week we're busy packing up the studio here at fast daddy's getting ready to move to our new brooklyn digs i hear they even have a fridge in the studio and i will not have to make gavin bring me a cooler full of ice for my whiskey man big things are foot I've seen some of the new show art for the show, and somehow it doesn't look like a fat drunk guy did it in knockoff Photoshop. It's just like I always dreamed it would be. There will be a full rundown of all the changes come to the show, but a big one will be the show. We'll be moving to a published date on Monday morning, not Fridays as previously we previously done, because I usually just get drunk while we do the show, and apparently that's not how they do it up in big network land. But that's not happening for a couple of weeks yet. And that's, you know, it's all just a big shout-out to the professional editors and podcasters who will be taking over the raw audio of my dulcet words and running them through some hardcore software processing to make me sound, if not good, at least better. Also, you may not have noticed, and hopefully you haven't, because that means something has gone terribly wrong. The show's host has officially moved to megaphone.fm, and if you are hearing this on SoundCloud, then something has gone definitely wrong, and we need to fix it. I don't know. That's all Gavin's department. I just drink and talk shit. Speaking of talking shit, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps others find the show and wonder how in the hell anyone would think advertisers would ever pay for this. Follow the show on Twitter, the hell underscore podcast, or if you must, the show name on Facebook. You can find all of our updates and cool shit on whatthehellpodcast.com. This show is brought to you by the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network and is engineered and provided technical support by executive producer Jeremy Ballon. So for me, Dave, kick a Nazi in the crotch blood so producer, I could stomp the skinhead in 93. Gavin and all the fictional black-clad minions on this show, we want to say... Hello, world. There's a punch that we're bringing. There's a whole lot of fast bash is what we're singing, so come on, punch Nazis. We'll see you all next week.
I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.